You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Hello, welcome to For the Lord. This is Roger coming to you on Wednesday, the 27th of July. We have got a packed show. We missed last week, obviously, you guys noticed. And so this week we kind of piled on quite a bit of stuff, including a whole bunch of MMO talk, which is going to be a lot of fun because we've got some World of Warcraft, some DC Universe Online, Guild Wars 2, Swotor, and Hex. Yes, it's an MMO. And so we're going to talk about that. But we've also got a crap load of other stuff that's going to be very interesting. So let's start with the pre-patch stuff for Legion. Joe, go ahead. Sure. So the pre-patch is always that interesting time where all the major changes to the systems go into effect. Uh, all the character changes happen before the actual content is released. It's usually about a month uh, to six weeks before the actual expansion is released. Usually there's a small event that goes along with it. Here, there are a couple things going on. First, yes, all of the major systems have been put into place. Uh, all the new talents are out. All the new specs are out. Uh, the, the way that talents are going to be changed is already in effect, so you need to be in a rest area or have a special tome in order to do it. Uh, the fact that there are no more, there's no such thing as dual spec, tri spec, quad spec. You can literally swap your spec as many times as you want free of charge. Uh, to I any of the three that you have, or four if you're a druid, which is really kind of cool. I thought that they were going to uh, be charging for that. Weren't they charging during nope. the beta? I thought you had said they, they were, were. They were, and then they rescinded it as basically, I think it was a, uh, the mea culpa of, hey, so we understand we kind of fucked you on the whole talent thing and made that unfun, so just swap your specs at will. Okay, well, that's good. Which I think is kind of cool because you can do that. You can do that in combat zones too, which I've been doing frequently. Uh, what also is really cool, and they've never done this before, because there have been so many fundamental changes to how classes function. Now, some spells actually require specific weapons in order to work properly. Rogues are already familiar with this. This is something that they've had to deal with since back in the days of vanilla, but they went ahead and when you log in for the first time and switch to a new spec. If you do not have an applicable weapon to that spec, the game auto-generates new weapons for you and sends them to you in the mail. They're nothing spectacular, but I think they're item level 685, something like that. They're blues, but it's actually a really nice thing. It's like, here, here's some weapons that are actually functional for you for your new spec, so you can go play. You can have fun. You can figure out if this is something you want to keep doing. And I actually appreciate that quite a bit. It actually got me to do a number of things on my monk other than just tank. Uh, so that was good on them, and that was something that they did not really announce that they were going to do. It just kind of like, surprise, here you go. Uh, now, that's the first part. The second part is this is all going to lead up to the actual Legion invasion event. And the way that this is working, and, and I didn't talk about this a whole lot from the beta because I didn't want to ruin anything, but it's coming and it's going to be awesome. The scale of this is on par with the invasion that happened during the opening of the temple of akir so back in aq40 when that whole event was going on and you had those obelisks coming up all over the place and they were invading the zones and there were different stages to these encounters where you had to, you know there were a certain number of things that you had to kill and then bosses sprung to life that's happening not only is that going to be happening 
named demon bosses from the lore, from the story of the game that you will recognize are going to be parts of these invasion forces all throughout Azeroth. I think that's pretty damn cool. Specifically the fact that they're reaching back for named demons to bring back, not just generic demon number seven, but like people that actually had influence in the past story are coming back to try to invade Azeroth before the Legion expansion actually launches. And I think that's really kind of cool. Did that actually start yet? No, but it's going to be starting probably if we had to hazard a guess within the next week. See, when I read about that part specifically initially, I actually wasn't impressed because it made it seem as if basically you're going to be bouncing from place to place around Azeroth to try to take part in this takedown of these bosses that drop and then you get some form of currency that you can use to buy things with. But it's one of those things where you're going to be bouncing around and you're not always going to make it in time. They're going to down the boss far too fast and you won't have anything. Oh, no, it's not that quick. How did they say how tough these bosses are going to be? The bosses themselves are going to be a, a not like world boss level tough, but pretty tough. They're going to scale essentially to what's attacking them. So when we were doing it in the beta, we would have 10 or so people that were just rolling around, kind of going from spot to spot, and then other people would join in. And it wasn't nearly, it wasn't like a world raid boss, but it was like just a rung below that. The real benefit is, though, every single stage of it awards you these tokens. And you don't necessarily just have to wait for the boss. So if you complete stage one, which is like the minor guys, um, you'll, you'll get something. If you played Rift and you went through one of the Rift scenarios, it's very similar to something like that, where like you have the multiple different stages before the actual boss spawns. See, so it, it feels to me once again that all they're doing is creating these very similar events and then just dropping them around the world and. Mm -hmm. It's all going to be about the uh, time sink to get there first and foremost, and then very similar bosses. It just, to me, as someone, again, and I didn't play it, so I'm not going to say for sure. You did, so you're, I'm going to trust your enthusiasm for it. But it doesn't feel like much of a planned event in terms of any kind of story going with it that, that, that's meaningful or anything like that to really sink your teeth into it. It's just randomly generating, boom, dropping them all over the place, and then people run to take them down it just feels very inorganic does not really help in terms of story wise and it's just a, a waste of time it might be a fun waste of time but for me it sounds very much just your it's the time sink and, and that very well may be the case and, and everybody's going to get a different level of enjoyment out of it i'm not just uh, discounting your opinion on that at all because i know that some people did have those complaints uh for me though it was one of those things where looking at the story and looking at what bosses were spawning where and the fact that these were simultaneous events they weren't just like one is happening on the very ass end of kalimdor and then the next one's happening all the way at the other end and you know in the eastern kingdoms it's it wasn't like that it was there are multiple things happening all the time so if you want to participate, you can go and participate. If you don't want to, you can just go about your normal daily life. Uh, but for me, it was kind of cool because I was noticing, and they haven't really no said anything about this, and this could be me, my fanboy going off. I'll freely admit that. But the bosses that were spawning in those regions, in the regions that they were spawning in, if you go back through the books, you go back through the stories, they were key locations, essentially, where those bosses either fell or where... 
those bosses were targeted the first time they ever came to Azeroth or manifested or part of their original missions, it was kind of a nice little touch if they did intend for that to be the case. And I'm hoping that they did, but they've never, they haven't said anything one way or another. It could very well wind up being that now in the live event, because again, beta is different from live, that is always going to be the case. Uh, they could have just done it where it's randomly generated. I'm holding out a little hope that it won't be, and I know for a fact that I will at least participate a little bit because I'm a damn pet collector and a mountain collector, and you can get a pet from the damn little turn-in thing, so I'm going to have to do it. I came, like, this close to resubbing today because I check it periodically, and I've asked you because you gave me the, the Twitter feed for the uh, to check how much the tokens are selling for, and... When I was playing last time, again, I was paying for myself and my son, so all my money was disappearing. And then when I left, I didn't have enough money to buy the next token, and it wound up being all right because I was like, I've kind of lost interest with just playing the Garrison game. And now it's like I keep checking, and I know I've got about 39,500, but it's been consistently at 41K+. plus. I check it today. And this morning, and it was at 39 and a half, and it gave me the option to buy. And I'm like, shit, because if I buy it now, that means I'm going to have to play to earn money for when Legion actually comes out, which means it's also going to take me out of SWOTOR, which I've been thoroughly enjoying. So I said, I'm going to think about it a little bit and see. Literally a few minutes later, motherfucker was up to like 45 and a half thousand. It was 6,000 more. And I went, well, that solves my problem. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a sign yeah but i mean that's really about it right now for the pre-patch it's, there's not a whole lot going on right at this moment but soon it will be uh at least for the that particular event uh and really it's more just a time for players to kind of get used to what is happening with their characters uh there are some people that are complaining that their characters are way underpowered spoilers things are tuned around artifact weapons that's that's a thing that's going to happen sorry hate to break it to you uh some are saying that they're way overpowered uh some tanks are nigh unkillable some healers are nigh unstoppable i mean it's it's the typical pre-patch thing i've actually heard good things about survival hunter survival hunter is one of the few things now like we said, some of the classes changed incredibly radically. That's one of them. Survival Hunter is one of the key ones. It is full-on melee hunter, yeah. and it is ridiculously fun. Cool. It, it is, you are ziplining with a harpoon going on to different, like, your targets. You're disengaging out. You're doing all sorts of weird, fun, flippy things. It's it's a load of fun. Um, I know for a fact that my hunter um, is basically going to be survival from here on out. Did you watch the Golden video? The are you talking about the pre-story event, yeah. the Harbinger? Yeah, I thought yeah. that was kind of interesting because this was the Gul'dan 2.0, not the original Gul'dan. And it was interesting to see that his little sort of story unfold was where he was exposed to Fell, which the interesting thing to me here was in that particular story, he was exposed to the Fell in the seat of the elements, the throne of the elements which seemed really weird. Why? Because that's never been a thing. And because the elements were one of the, the throne of the elements was one of the few places kind of not touched by the Legion corruption in the past. Hmm. So I thought that was really interesting that that's where he got corrupted because also during the expansion, the books and everything else, there's never a talk about the taint of the Legion 
uh, or the Iron Horde or anything like that, uh, even after Gul'dan's betrayal or, or big reveal, there's nothing like that at the Throne of the Elements. It's just literally the, the elements are reacting to the world being torn asunder. So it was a curious choice. I'm I'm interested to see if that will have more story connections later on because Harbingers is going to have further impacts apparently. Um, I know we're going to be getting more stories as well. One of them is going to be, uh, I believe it's Kagdar, and I don't remember who the third one is going to be, but I think it, it's it's interesting. Did you see, too, about their podcast are doing, the Tomb of Sargeras? No, I did not see that one. Yeah, they're gonna, it's, it's not started yet, but they're going to be doing a podcast that's going to have some stories as, as well on it. So that's going to be pretty awesome. So that'll give people the opportunity to get yet a little bit more lore directly from them. Good. About damn time. Yeah. So. Oh, and also Chronicles 2, uh, the, the tome of all things official story for Blizzard, is set to be released pretty soon. I figured I would throw that in there because... <laughs> Everything wasn't in that first one? Because that's a big fucking book. <laughs> no, that that was only up to the first war, man. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't get through it all. <laughs> I started yeah, reading going, Jesus Christ. <laughs> there is there is plenty more. There's the next one is coming out for relatively soon. So. It's like when you picked up the Cimmerillion. It's like, oh, it's a Lord of the Rings companion. You realize there's just 200 pages about elvish language. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on to DC Universe Online. So that's another uh, another wonderful MMO that I have recently, well, I just recovered my password today, and it's currently installing because I didn't know this was going on. So apparently Wonder Woman is celebrating her 75th anniversary, and boy, does she look good for a 75-year-old. So DC Universe Online is having a nice little celebration in our honor where players can log in, get themselves a nice little Wonder Woman chest emblem and get seven and a half hours of doubled experience when they collect that emblem, which is kind of cool for players like me who have been gone from the game for a while and want to catch back up. Uh, I think that's actually really, really nifty. They're also adding more content in. uh, There's a nod to Suicide Squad in this one. Yeah. Uh, The PvP arena uh, is planned a new PvP arena is planned to basically go along with the Suicide Squad movie, as well as new gear based off of Deadshot, which I thought was kind of fun. Uh, looking at it, it actually looked like a really pudgy Deadshot, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> it did. Deadshot. It was. It was totally Deadshot. He, he he doesn't have to chase people. He can snipe them, so he's allowed to put on <laughs> pack on a little weight. You know, it gives him a, a better sense of balance for aiming. <laughs> Lower center of gravity, but I think I, I think it's cool. And they did a uh, an actual a really nice tribute video to uh, the Wonder Woman for the seventy five, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, I, it was a nice little nod. I, Overall, I'm 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 happy. Again, consider like this is not an expansion. It's not uh, anything special. It's just them continually making changes and adding to the game, which. I think it's phenomenal. So I thought this was cool. And I do like when they do the, the tie-ins periodically with the different IPs that are on TV or or, or movies kind of thing. Because they don't tend to overpower you with it. It's just kind of tossed in there as little flavor stuff. So I the Suicide Squad stuff is going to be cool plus the Wonder Woman. Again, if I can... It's, it's all going to depend on what's going to happen with Swotor when they finally do eventually talk about what's going to be in this Eternal Throne. But... My plan was once I'm done with the uh, the current expansion, I, I did want to put my account on hold and then switch over to DCU online again and go back because I would like to go through a bunch of their stories that they've put out over the years that we've missed. And I'm sure there's bound to be some really cool stuff in there. So it'd be fun. Well, 
Yeah, and that's kind of my thing is before I get sucked into Legion, I want to go back and actually play through uh, a bunch of the stuff, a bunch of the story arcs, because I I understand I have missed a considerable amount here. And little tiny things like this are, are little extra cookies to bring me back in. So yeah. I'm, I'm OK with that. Yeah. As if that's not enough, Guild Wars 2, also Living World Season 3 just came out. There's yet more going on there. Yeah, and this is another one where again, company the company is producing more content to keep giving to their their player base and adjusting old content. Uh, so, first episode of Living World season three is here. Uh, it is called Out of the Shadows. So it's in the. Well, there might be some slight spoilers here if you haven't been playing it, but this is the aftermath of Mortarmont's death. Uh, the Pack Commander and their allies celebrate the victory. Yay, we did good. More than losses. Boo, we lost people. And, of course, because we can't actually have peace, a new threat emerges. So there is looks like two new maps. There's a new fractal, which is Chaos Isle. Um, basically, it's an entire new fractals are zones for them. This is an entire new area to explore, which looks like it's a collection of uh, weird floating islands in the void, which looks really, really cool and also looks like demonic Ashura based. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. Uh, there's also a new PvP map, which is called the Revenge of Capricorn, which is looks like a pirate battle, which is cool. There's even a ghost ship. There's a ghost ship that <laughs> participates in this. That's I mean, to me, that's kind of fun. Then there's a uh, new PvP updates. Apparently, there's going to be some new balancing uh, as well as some new uh, basically structure player versus player updates going out as far as the fractals go. Uh, there is going to be some shifting going on to two current existing fractals, uh, Snowblind and Swampland, where they want to do a little balancing, kind of polish up the experience a little bit, uh, make it a little more streamlined. I guess there were players that were complaining about um, suffering from that classic like MMO drought period in between certain areas. I was doing a little research, and uh, apparently that was the number one complaint, so they wanted to kind of streamline the flow through those areas, which is nice. You know, it's nice that they're, they're actually looking at it and not saying, eh, we're done with this, screw it, next thing. Yeah. And they're also looking at skills and balance updates for uh, professions, skills, weapons, and traits in order to, one, keep gameplay fresh, to keep gameplay balanced and also keep it exciting because uh, that's one of the things with Guild Wars, right? Like the combat system is based off of not just your class, but the weapons that that class has, as well as the traits and, and your uh, what do they call them? The exemplar levels or whatever that the, they like yeah, prestige yeah, yeah. pack. Yeah, yeah. Um, like those are all contributing factors to how your character plays. And they want to keep that feeling fun and they want to keep that feeling engaging. And that's really refreshing to hear because it's too often that you see these companies produce an MMO. This is what your character is. Suck it. And that's it. And they just walk away and they don't go back and they don't revisit. And they don't say, is this fun? They keep doing this. And this is one of the reasons why I will keep logging in to Guild Wars 2. And even if I'm not like dedicated hardcore playing, I'm going to putz around. And if I spend... Uh, five hours a month, ten hours a month, just putzing around, then I feel like I'm okay. I'm happy with what they're giving me here because it gives me incentive to spend that five to ten hours a month playing around. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, again, it's still a phenomenal MMO. A phenomenal MMO with an incredible community. Oh, yeah. And that's the other thing, too, is like people talk about toxic communities, and you, I have not run into 
one thousandth of the assets I've run into in other games in this. Like everybody's helpful. Everybody's, you know, you're always going to have that one magical jackass. But okay, that's one magical jackass instead well, of one million magical jackasses. The best thing about Guild Wars is when that one magical jackass shows up and starts acting out. Everybody else yeah. in the zone immediately shuts him down. Like it's, oh, yeah. it's not allowed. Okay, let's move on from there to Swartor. I, again, I've been talking about it a lot because I've been doing the Dark versus the Light event, which as it stands now, the Light is winning, which is good because that's the Chiss companion that everybody, well, not everybody apparently, but everybody I've talked to has said they want that one, and so do I. And I think more people are coming to grips with this not just being something for everyone, but for returning or for new players, because I'm hearing a lot less bitching from vets. I, it's it's as if they got it all out of their system and it's like whatever. And a lot that's of that's always bitching about something. You know, some of it is justified. Let's be honest, but still, the, completely missed the joke. I'm sorry. I did not. It's just it wasn't worth taking time away from what I'm trying to wow. discuss. <laughs> Rude. But I, I'm not catching Pokemon's. I'm like in a bad mood. Or <laughs> anyways, um, the um, it's 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 been good because I'm still seeing on all the planets a crap load of people. And again, I've been playing now for a little while. I've been sub for actually quite a while and there were a lot of vacant planets. And now every time I'm going somewhere, there's a ton of people. And I happen to find, like I said, a really good guild as well where there's consistently a ton of people on and we have a lot of fun there. There are adults and it's great. So I finished off, my character on the uh, uh, Republic side, it got him high enough and got the, the adaptive gear that you can level with. And then I started leveling my companion, my, um, I almost said horde side, <laughs> my Imperial <laughs> character, my bounty hunter. I got her to the end. Plus I did the, uh, all of the, well, half of the, the stuff that I needed for the achievements. And then once I got the next reward pack, I actually leveled through a, Sith warrior to 50 like that. And I'm already halfway through doing my Imperial agent. So, cause I'm trying to get them all now before the event ends, because that's how you can get some of the higher rewards. All I just to say, it's still been consistently a ton of fun. Now, the thing that I was really impressed with happened to be, and this is where this event shines older content because on my bounty hunter, I had actually never finished the Bounty Hunter storyline. I got quite a bit through it. I was partway through the second chapter, so I, I, I was doing fairly well, but I did not finish the uh, the entirety of the story. And, and part of that also was because, and I think Joe will agree with me, for the most part, the story, while it's fun, the great hunt, overall, there's next to no impact, and it doesn't really have oh, yeah, yeah, no. the, the gravitas that you get from the Sith Inquisitor storyline or the Imperial Agent and things like that. But that said, it's a very it's a very Mandalorian story in so yeah, much oh, of, yeah. like it, it's it affects me and me alone. Yep, that 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 checks out. Well, the thing is, is that as you keep going, part of the fun comes as well in moments where you mm -hmm. when you become the Mandalore and you're dealing with the existing Mandalore and you're you're hunting down old friends of his and different things like that. And then it keeps going from there. And that's all well and good. I'm not even going to spend much time talking about that. But what wound up happening is that while I was playing way, way back, 
it was a lot slower to level. So you were spending a lot more time on planets and things like that. And even though I'd max leveled some characters, I had never actually done the Shadow of Revan expansion pack. And I'd even only gotten partway through the uh, Rise of the Hut Cartel expansion, which came out before that. So for this, because you need those those achievements, I went through and I did it. Now, the Rise of the Hut Cartel has some interesting quests. The entirety of the storyline is interesting, but it's not that gripping per se. And so I finished that off and then I happened to go back and finish the Bounty Hunter storyline. And then I had to do the Shadow Revan. Now, Vince, I even remember us talking about this when the game came out. You remember on Drum and Cass, there's the Revanite quest line that you can do? One of my favorite parts of the entire game. Exactly. Well, here, you're dealing not just with Revan, but the Revanites as well. So, now this is going to spoil stuff, but this is like ancient, so I'm not worried about spoiling shit. If you haven't done this, well, fuck off and go play the game. When you start off, now, in this case, I was playing an Imperial. There's, it, it makes very good use of flashpoints. And because you can solo them, you don't have to worry about waiting for a pug or, or trying to group together members of your guild. You can just go and solo it. And it's very easy to solo it as well. And so a lot of the event are a, a number of flashpoints. So, so I really like that. The only thing I didn't like is if I didn't have quite enough time, then it's like, I know I'm going to be up for like 20 minutes, but I sure shit can't finish this flashpoint. So then you got to find something else to do. Anyway, so you start off, there's an attack on Typhon. So the Imperials are attacking Typhon and um, you have to go through that entirety of the, the story arc, which is very awesome. Because again, Typhon is the starting location for your Jedi's. And like you're both, both the Jedi uh, Knight and the, ah, the other one. Counselor. Counselor, exactly. So because I've played both sides, I recognize the, the layout. I recognize the buildings, which are blown apart. And it was cool as shit being an Imperial going over there. So you go through all this. Meanwhile, you get back and find out there's a, the, 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 they weren't sitting on their ass. They attacked Korriban, which is the starting area of the Sith, Sith Warrior and Sith Inquisitor. So now you're going back to Korriban and you head to where the, 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 the temple is. And now you got to fight some Jedis and some troopers that are there. Again, freaking cool as hell having that flip between the two. Now, when I did the starting with the um, this expansion that's going on right now, the 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 knights, the what I'd done is I'd leveled the character, I boosted her up to max level, and I just started right away into that the new content. And so when I was presented with the new companions, the new people that you talk to, I didn't recognize them. And now I can appreciate it a lot more because in the Shadow Revan, you do work with Lana Benico. And she's the first, I think it's the first one they've done where it's a, a, a woman that you can romance either as a woman character, a female or a male character kind of thing. And I had actually romanced her on that boosted character I had as well. And I did the same thing here. I wasn't expecting her. And all of a sudden there's Lana. It's like, Lana, holy shit. It's like awesome. And she takes you to, there's a, this kind of water planet with the, the fish species, whatever, Manan or Manan or whatever. 
And there you find out that Darth Arcus and Colonel Derek, he's on the Republic side, the other one, obviously Imperial, are actually colluding together. And they're working with the Shadow of Revan cult as well. And they're trying to build an infinite army. Now, this is, again, yet another tie-in to the original content. If you remember questing on Nar Shaddaa, do you remember doing the Revan quest there as well, where you are going to get the Star Forge? And it's that yes, element yes. that the other creatures are using to power everything around them. I don't know if you remember, but it's a freaking awesome quest line. Yeah, I, I recall. As soon as you said Star Forge, it clicked. Yeah. Well, they're using – now, I don't know how you did it. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. You were a badass and you took it all and you killed them. Okay, fine. But if you take the good path, you only take a small portion of it. They give you a small portion so they can continue to survive. And that small portion is going to grow, but it's going to take a very long time to be able to achieve anything. Well, in my playthrough, because I'd been nice, they had that small piece because I'd given it to the the Imperial agents. And they obviously, the, the, the Darth dude got his hands on it. And they were using that to try to make these cyborg soldiers. So you're fighting against them now as well as Arcus and Derek and, and as well Revan. So you've got elements of Revan that are... Um, where he's kind of like the dark side Revan. And then you come across some visions of him where he's a spiritual and he's, he's like the, the, you know, Obi-Wan when he was a ghost kind of thing and much more at peace and whatnot. And having read the Revan novel as well and, and things like that, like we, we know that that was part of Revan, that flip flop in between personalities and going dark to light and light to dark kind of thing. So it really works very well. And then while you're there, you're also meeting other people that you're working with. You are working with someone from the Republic intelligence side, Theron. And again, I'd seen him in the the later stuff and hadn't realized that, oh, here he is, Theron Shen. Freaking awesome. Also, the Wookiee that they made such a big deal about, hey, he's he's going to show back up again, uh, Jakara, and the droid C2-D4. People love that. And I thought, well... Okay, whatever, it's a, a Wookiee and a droid. Now I get it. He's fucking awesome in this stuff. Like, it's this giant Wookiee with the head of a C2 droid strapped to his chest because his body's gone. And so you have to deal with both of them when you're talking to them, which is freaking fantastic. So all of the stuff that goes on there is it, it a ton of fun. The story is amazing like gripping stuff they're taking you to different planets you head off to to rishi to fight and and kind of pretend to be a pirate for a while for a while kind of thing and that's when roger fell in love he got to pretend to be a pirate dude i had to give you uh the the legacy gear (laughs) the orange gear and one of them you look like a fucking space pirate it was like this is glorious and you meet up with this badass woman bounty hunter named Torch as well. And then you find out about the different factions that are trying to either fight against the Revanites or are kind of trying to work with them because it's 
they're financially better for them. You're seeing what's happening with Revan kind of going a little ballistic, but you're getting closer and closer to your death match with them. And when you finally get to that point, now all of a sudden you're standing in the, the uh, circular area, kind of like a gladiator ring damn near, where you're going to fight him off. And the rest of your team just lands beside you, including Torch that comes comes down because she had flown in kind of thing with her jetpack and all of a sudden you've got all of these companions you've made along the way and it was fucking badass it was like oh my god this is awesome and now i really wish i'd waited to do that the current content until i had finished this because it would have been so much more impactful so i am looking forward to doing it again because i haven't seen all of the surprises yet because i hadn't finished every single chapter i'm not completely up to date and i've been holding off specifically because now it's like oh no now i'm doing it all at the same time in chronological order because this is amazing like when you are dealing with this you're not just dealing with revan as well Revan wants to bring the Emperor back because the Emperor has died. So he wants to bring him back so that he can kill him one more time and make sure he's gone. And it, it, it's like one of those ridiculous things. But the oh, Emperor... full-on movie villain crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the Emperor never really dies. He's that... Right. And so he is actually... The Emperor is possessing bodies on, on Zeus. So you're sent off to Zeus to go and fight. But he's... He is possessing Jedi and sending them there to fight the Imperial. So you have these phenomenal flashpoints there and, and planet-wide stuff that you're doing to, to fight them off and to hold back the Emperor. Because you are, again, it's not, it's not you and your crew so much. It's always been you are the special snowflake and you can take him down kind of thing. So you're f- trying to fight off the Emperor directly. But he's getting stronger every time you kill off one of the people that he's possessing. That life force, he can then suck it off. So you get this catch-22 that you need to defend everyone. But in so doing, if you kill the others, it just makes the Emperor stronger. And then at one point, Emperor kills the planet to kill everybody who's on there. And they'd evacuated a lot of them, but they were still talking about all of the ones that were killed and when you go back to the planet later on like it's fucking dead and the cinematic for it shows again everything slowly dying around and that life force bringing them back and that's where it leads then to the current expansion which has him completely in another galaxy or another section of the galaxy and you have to go there and he's in a different body and you find out that again he's it's possible because he hasn't always been in just the one body the emperor on in the imperial side he's also been ruling this other galaxy way off way way the fuck off what do you mean dad has a second family yeah he does that's what i thought as well when I, I was like does he have pictures in his wallet of his other family <laughs> But no, it's it leads into the current stuff so very well. And again, that's one of the brilliant things that this Dark versus Light event has done. For all the people that have bitched about it, there are people like myself who now have been forced to go back and play through stuff that we hadn't done before. Oh, yeah. And because it's so much easier now with your companions and you can change who heals and who tanks and whatever, and their healing is fucking badass now, your companion. You could survive a ton of shit. So you can go in and, 
and concentrate on the story, which is what they want you to do. So there is like some spectacular story elements. Like when Lana tells you at one point, and it takes a while because she's very careful with the relationship and you can be as flirty as you want with her. She'll kind of, she'll even put you back in your place. Like (laughs) every once in a while, I was like, do you see what's going on here? Like, this is not the time for this. But the moment where you're taken off for one quest, and again, it's been a little while, you've been flirting back and forth and whatnot, and she says, be well, my love. And it's like my heart melted a little bit. And I was like, oh, that was so, and it's just the the manner, the, the, the delivery of the voice actress was spot on. And it was like, holy fuck. It, like everything that happens. And then she's the one that rescues you later on as well. And it's that she never stopped looking for you. And so, again, all of these really, really cool things that those puzzle pieces fall together so very nicely when you don't skip through everything to power level or to use a token kind of thing to jump ahead. And again, for everybody who's bitched about this this event, I cannot speak highly enough about it because it's allowed me to really, really appreciate everything that's happened so far. Fine, I'll update my client. No. <laughs> You've talked me into it again. It's fucking awesome, dude. I'm actually Roger should get a cut at this point, man. Like <laughs> Did you see the infographic they released for their five year anniversary? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. I I'm amazed that everything is that balanced between Empire and Republic. Also light side versus dark side decisions, and then the class balance. Like I'm astonished how even things are across the board, and that's just a testament to how well made the game it is. is. Yes, yeah. You it, know, it also it's also part of the community too, because a lot of the people that are playing this game are the same ones that played like Galaxy back in the day, and Galaxy had a lot of the same like even distribution, which was really really weird, especially back then. Like you didn't hear about that. You never hear about even distribution of anything in any MMO ever. Like it's it's really it's it's very unique to sort of like this IP in this community. And I think that's really kind of rad. Well, I think that part of it, too, is just because the quest lines are so very well done that people are finding things in each that they really like. Like the trooper one, I'd never gone very far in the trooper storyline. And now I've finished the first chapter. I'm going to go back and I'll finish the other two later on. But for this event, I, I did finish that first chapter and I'd done some. But again, nowhere near this much. And. It's a really, really well-written military story, like really well-written. And then you have the smuggler stuff as well, which starts off light, but I have actually finished the the, the smuggler storyline, and it's great, like highly dependent on uh, your companions as well, that one there, for the relationship. Wow, what the hell's her name? The female one you can romance. No, I'm not going to be able to romance. There's, there's two, actually, but the one, the first one. Anyways... There's like some really cool stuff that happens with that. And then you flip it to Imperial side. Well, it's really hard to beat Imperial Agent and Sith uh, Inquisitor. So like there's great stories on both sides and the communities are strong on both sides as well. So let's move on from there to Hex because I need to keep talking. (laughs) I'll be shutting up very soon, but for now, and this is actually going to be very, very brief. They've actually talked about their accomplishments so far with the first part of the campaign coming out and whatnot. We don't need to go over that. I am still playing the shit out of it and still 
loving every moment of it. I I finally got two of my characters through those goddamn worms. <laughs> fucking worms. I Jesus. finally got through them on two, and it's like I'm debating whether I'm going to put the others through that torment because it's such a pain in the ass. <laughs> but we had talked about it quite some time ago when they were talking about different things that they were planning or thinking about for the campaigns and whatnot, and one of the ones that sounded really bloody cool was the great machine graveyard that is the dumping site of droids and it's basically these they call it like mounds of rotting metal all over the place and it's run by the knolls so you have packs of these wild dogs all over the place that's what's coming out next which is freaking awesome because it fits so nicely in terms of the lore, you pack rats, you have pack dogs, plus they, they, they're hanging on to all the different parts for the, the mechanical parts to, to do things with. And they talk about how, like with different cards, how the pack rats are, or sorry, pack dogs are going to work together and the symmetry between the cards and how it works and the bosses you'll fight. And good, it sounds friggin' awesome. <laughs> it sounds like a ton of fun. I'm in. And they just finished an event again as well where they were, same as the last time, rewarding people with cards and sleeves and equipment for taking part in both tournaments as well as campaign stuff. So there was a a whole bunch of stuff and and they're doing things with kind of like fortifications and different things like that. Now, I'm not going to speak too much like I know what I'm talking about. I've gotten the cards and I've gotten the equipment, but I haven't yet played enough with it to make a decent deck using those strategies. But it it creates an entirely new strategy for decks that I'm really looking forward to because like the card that you got as a reward for completing uh, the dungeons, well, a chance at either card or equipment, is like a legendary card again. And I, I actually, fuck, I played over, I think I got five fucking cards. I kept getting the card and not the equipment, which is less rare. Or, and yet I couldn't get the goddamn things. I went, fuck that. And I just bought it on the auction house. Again, beauty of this game, you can just buy shit on the auction house if you have the in-game gold. And because I, I do the tournaments, it's not hard. Uh, not tournaments, sorry, the, uh, the Frost Ring Arena stuff. So yeah, like, continues to stay fresh plus they put out their fourth set which i i actually signed up for the the vip thing for this because it's not a lot and you get a pack every week so it winds up being cheaper than if you just bought the packs kind of thing plus you get tournament uh vouchers as well so i actually did that a while back and i just have kept it it's supporting them and i don't mind that plus it gets me a pack every week which is fun it's like oh look it's monday i got a pack so I've been getting some incredible cards from the new set that it's like I I had I, I hadn't played for a little bit while I was playing Star Wars. And so I actually had four saved up that I hadn't yet yet opened. And I opened it out out of the four, I got two fucking legendaries. It was like <laughs> the sun was shining on a dog's ass that one moment in time there, and I got two legendaries. So yeah, it's uh we got some very, very cool stuff. Not just continually happening, but in the pipe. This second part of the campaign, I cannot wait for it. And in addition to that, it's going to boost up the other stuff for how high you can level and your skill points and stuff too. So, oh, cannot wait. From there, stepping away from MMOs, briefly for Overwatch, we got some really cool stuff. Again, lore-wise, 
Uh, Vince, I'll let you talk about the comic in a minute, but did you actually read the online comic, the next one in the series for Anna? Yeah. What did you think of it? Uh, it was, it's basically what we talked about, uh, you know, that moment of hesitation. And I, for what they're doing with these short little like six page comics, I, I really enjoy them. Oh, you're talking about the one against Widow. I'm talking about the new one with her when she bounces into um, El Dorado. Uh, no, that wasn't in El Dorado, was it? Was it El Dorado? I'm pretty sure it was El Dorado. Are we talking about the same one? I'm talking about where she. Soldier 76 and Reaper. And, and, her. and Reaper, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe it was. Okay, I, I didn't realize they put out a second one. Yeah, yeah. There's a second one for her, Yeah. Joe, actually, I'll let you take this. I've been talking long enough. So it's this interesting moment because you see Soldier 76. He's obviously tracking something. And it's not like he's uh, being very overt about what he's tracking. Uh, there's a sign on the wall and it opens up with the scene with this wanted poster. Uh, and then he knocks out a thug who decides it was going to be cute to try to take Dad 76 in to get the reward from Sombra. But he starts asking these questions, looking for these people, because he heard that there's somebody in this area doing basically vigilante work. And he thinks he knows who it is. So he's going looking. Uh, And they keep referring to this person as the ghost. You know, it's the the ghost. They're looking for the ghost. Anybody has information in your reward. So he finds he tracks it down to this criminal organization that has basically been the target of all of the hits of the ghost and uh, gets in and sort of mucks things up bounces over the wall, starts wrecking the house and uh, winds up getting the ire of not just that little cartel, but Reaper as well, because Reaper happens to be there. And there's this battle that ensues between the two. And it looks like Reaper's got him dead to rights. And then all of a sudden, Reaper gets <laughs> shot in the back from long range <laughs> by, by this ghost. I love when the soldier gets hit as well. Yes. Because <laughs> he he's like, what? I got shot. Why do I feel better? What the hell's going on here? I loved it because it's it's one of those things too. Again, how is shooting your companions healing them? Now we know. I now love know. too that there's it's just one panel, but you see her holding on to both bullets and syringes in between her fingers, yeah. and she's loading whichever is the appropriate one. I thought, I mean, it's a tiny little panel. It was like, but it's that's so awesome place. right yeah. there. Yeah, it was it was one of those cool moments. And then uh, not only does that happen, but like she comes down and she takes off her mask and it's it's Anna and she's talking with, you know, Jack. soldier and, and she's talking with Jack because she knows it's Jack right away. She, she knows it's him. And then she knows that Reaper is Gabriel. She gets to see Gabriel's real face. Oh, dude. And you never get to see it. But like, there's this moment where he, like, she takes the the mask, or they can't remember if it's him or her, but the mask is off, and it's like, you know, this moment of just pure horror on her face, like, oh, what happened? Oh my goodness! Like, she knew that something happened, but obviously she didn't know the full extent of it. And then he kind of does his little ghost and disappears away. And then there's this moment where Anna starts talking with with Jack again. And she's like, well, you know, I guess you're going to need somebody to watch your back after all. And he's like, and I came here to recruit you. Shit, I'm doing bad. And it was just like this interesting moment of like, you could tell there was this like this camaraderie between the three of them and how far things have fallen. And just the the little touches, the little panels, like the smirks, the 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 fondness of, of the look of her. Like you can see like in the panels where she's drawn, she looks like. This is, you know, she, when she's talking with Jack, is like, I miss these days. I miss when things were simple. 
the world is really fucked now. We need to fix it. It's just, it, it is such a small comic, but it's so well oh, delivered. God, I loved yeah. it. It's, it is well done. And to give you more of an appreciation for the three older members kind of thing. And cause that's what this is called. What's old friends or no old soldiers. It's called old soldiers. Yeah. And just to, again, appreciate that relationship of those three and how important it was. Like when she takes that mask off of him and she's looking at him, it's not just horror at what she's seeing, but you almost feel that like she cares. She's hurt by him having been hurt this much. And, 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 that motherly kind of way as well. And like, he's saying like, he did this to me, Anna, they left me to become this thing and they left you to die as well. And they left me to suffer phenomenal lines. Like it was very, actually, I'm going to check here just to give props where they are deserved. It was written by Michael Chu. So, and the art was great too, by Bengal. And so, yeah, no, I really enjoyed this quite a bit. Uh, and you know what? And this is just another amazing comic in a series of amazing comics. Like, not just Overwatch has been getting comics. So it was, so it was World of Warcraft. Yeah. Like they're pouring a lot of stuff into like these little these little free. Like they're not even charging you. These are free engagements that they're giving you with top notch artists, top notch writers, uh, and they rival anything you'd buy off the shelf. I really, again, we've talked about this before, and I'll close out with this. I'm so happy that they're continuing to do this for a game where there's so very little story in the game that you have to rely on these things to get these moments. And so I'm glad they're continuing and I hope they continue doing this because this makes playing Anna that much more impactful. It it really does make a difference. You're not just playing a grandma anymore. You're playing an old soldier. You're playing someone who has been scarred. You're playing someone who has a deep emotional attachment to the people that she served with. And that bond is insanely strong, as well as to her own daughter, who's now fighting alongside her. So, so much stuff there to contend with while you're playing the game. And it makes a huge difference in the enjoyment, at least for someone like us. Yeah, and it adds so much weight to like those little one-off lines that you hear in the game yeah, between the yeah. characters too that it just makes it all worth it to me. Like, it, it's while Overwatch is a fun game, I like the story of Overwatch and I like the, the fact that it's ripe with possibilities and watching those possibilities blossom into full story, things like this. This, this is what makes me happy. Yeah, and I said it before and I'll say it again just because I happen to be playing today at lunchtime and of course I'm still mucking around with Anna to get a real feel for her before I use her in competitive. So I'm playing around and sure enough, there's Farah, and she's just about to do her justice reigns from above. And I healed her up, slapped my ultimate on her, and in my mind, I'm thinking, you go get him, girl. And it was like just that organic moment where it was not planned, but I I knew that's how I would feel. And it's you get in there, it's like, you go get him, girl. And it was awesome. It just was so much better an experience than if I hadn't had that that history with them. And then you stick the play of the game picture on the refrigerator. <laughs> no, because I didn't get it. <laughs> but she did. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Batman. We have gotten a lot more news for the Telltale series that's going to be coming out like freaking soon, including some news that just actually dropped during Comic-Con as well. So Vince, I'll let you take this. 
Yeah, I mean, we've got our trailer, which is kind of Telltale's way of telling us, hey, it's coming it's out coming. very soon. <laughs> like, that's what they said. That's how they do it. They announce a game, they talk a little bit about it, and then we don't hear anything until they go, oh, it's done here. Yeah. <laughs> but we, yeah, we got our trailer for the Batman game. And God, this looks so great. Like, just seeing Batman in this Telltale engine that it. What they've done with essentially the same graphics engine over the course of, you know, Walking Dead and Tales from the Borderlands and all that, it's, man, it <laughs> they're getting their money's worth out of it because it's a great fit for Batman. It has that great style. And I can understand from, hey, we need a trailer's point of view that this definitely focuses on the Batman side of things. But as we know, they said the Bruce Wayne parts of the story are going to be so much more important. That's why I love that the closing scene of the trailer is Bruce in his suit going, it's time to go save Gotham City. That is just such a great narrative hook and a way of indicating to the players that this isn't just going to be the superhero action. So I really appreciated that out of the trailer. Although I didn't like the little smirk. Batman doesn't, Bruce doesn't smirk like that when he's going to go and save the city. It's his job and he takes it seriously. That little smirk was like, he did that and went, well, that's not, that's not accurate. I don't know. I know what you're trying to do there, but I don't like it. <laughs> but really? the, the, I'm serious. Actually, I did think that. Uh, the look of it reminded me very much again of the, the Wolf Among Us as well, mm-hmm. where it has that, that real comic book feel to it in a way that is organic and, and makes sense. And I, Again, as I saw this, I thought, oh, this is going to be spectacular to look at. Because like the Michonne stuff, I actually didn't like the look of it as much. Uh, I found that the Michonne stuff, they took it too far away from that really rough, sketchy look of the first, even the second one, but uh, more so the first one that came out for The Walking Dead. And I found that Michonne at points looked like cosplayers with lines on their face at points. Which isn't to say anything against cosplayers who do that because that's awesome. But when it's in a game and it's made to look that way, it just it didn't feel quite right. Whereas this just freaking works. It looks incredible. I mean, I you know what got me really excited about this? Stupid multiplayer mode. Ah, see, for me, I thought that was stupid. <laughs> see, I know a lot of people I, are I personally excited, don't but, care about it, but yeah. I'm glad it's there. I think it's a cool idea because, I mean, that's totally something that I would do with like my friends is like, you know, let, we're always looking for a game to play. Let's get drunk and crowd play Batman. Like, that's totally a thing that would happen. See, I see it more as a Twitch streamer kind of thing. Exactly. So, and, and that's cool and all that, but uh, it's not for me. So I looked at it when uh, I'm not, I'm not going to use it at all. And I'm not likely to go into a stream where that's where they're doing it because I'm, unless it was say you guys, if it was friends, then I'd say, yeah, sure. What the hell go in. But otherwise, nah, not so much. I mean, I look at it as a way of Telltale being able to reach a larger audience through that Twitch functionality. Yeah. So, like, I, I'm i all for that. Well, if, I think if it's it gets great more that people getting more eyeballs on their great games, do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad it's in it. I just won't be using yeah, it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't want you guys fucking up my game. Making all the good decisions. I will make you do all the good things. <laughs> now go tell Alfred that you love him. <laughs> Give him a hug. Tell him he's listen, always been I, like a father to listen, you. Listen, even I can't be mean to Alfred. <laughs> All right, anything else on there? Uh, with Batman, no. It's just it, it's, it's soon. coming very soon. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what about Dragon Quest Seven? You wanted to talk about that a couple of weeks ago. 
Yeah, I put this in the show notes a couple weeks ago because they released uh, the first full trailer for the upcoming 3DS remake. And I said, you know, I wanted a little time to do some more reading about the game because I never played the original Dragon Warrior 7 as it was released at the time. So I just wanted to read up on the game and, like, find out what the hell it's about and also try to remind myself why I didn't play the original (laughs) because, I mean, it was a PlayStation 1 RPG. There are very few of those that I didn't play. And then I remember it was like, oh, that's right, because it barely came out. <laughs> so the original Dragon Quest VII was in development for so long. Like it was originally going to be a Nintendo 64 game before uh, Enix. I almost said Square Enix. This was before Square and Enix merged, before they moved it over to the PlayStation. They were working on this game for somewhere in the vicinity of, I think, seven years. Because they made a game that was over a hundred hours long with 35 people. The game didn't come out until the year 2000, (laughs) but it sold somewhere around 4 million copies when it came out in Japan. The vast majority of those were within the first week. Like Dragon Quest in Japan is no joke. It's in a lot of ways bigger than Final Fantasy is. So to put that into perspective, At the time, it was the number six highest selling game of all time in Japan. So this thing was huge. But it came out in 2000. They didn't start translating it until they finished it. So by the time the game came out in America, everybody was playing on the PlayStation 2 already. (laughs) So I I remember following the development of this game and going, when when is this fucking thing coming out? This, This is never happening. And by the time it came out, it was just so dated both graphically and for a lot of other reasons, because they just basically did a straight translation of it. They never properly localized it. It it was, it didn't go over too well in America, but again, just to put into perspective how big of a deal this game was square moved the release date of final fantasy nine because they didn't want to compete with it. Jesus. Yeah. So now we have finally our 3ds remake fragments of the forgotten past. It originally came out in Japan in 2013. (laughs) Still, this game is taking a while. It's taken over three and a half years to get the actual American version. And that is 100% thanks to the fan response. Square wasn't going to publish this in the West because of how poorly the original did. But they just got so much outpouring of fan support that they realized they had to do it. They said the main reason it took so long was because their design documents, you know, how they worked back in the day. As I said, it was 35 people, not a very big office. You know, they just had all of the design documents pinned to the wall in handwritten notes. And for most games, it was a handful of pages because it wasn't that big of a deal. But this game was so massive, they had like tomes. Like I said, it was an entire room of nothing but papers pinned to the wall that were all handwritten. So in order to properly localize it, instead of giving it the half-assed translation that the original had, they had to basically digitize and translate this entire library to hand it off to the Western team. So that took so long. And uh, that's one of the reasons. So, yeah, like I said, the game over 100 hours long without side quests, because when they had all of these uh, tools available to them with it being a playstation game you know the on-disc storage the greater memory they didn't want to go the final fantasy route of the big flashy cinematics because they didn't want 
the the fancy stuff to distract the players from the core of the game, the story and the gameplay. So instead, they just filled the entire disc with gameplay. (laughs) (laughs) So what the game actually is about, you start off, the entire world is just one small island adrift in an ocean with stories about these ancient kingdoms that fell to evil magic. So on this starting island, you collect stone shards and bring them back to like the shrine, which allows you to travel to one of these early kingdoms. Once you defeat the evil in that early kingdom, now suddenly that landmass is available to explore in the present day. So (laughs) they got a lot of (laughs) gameplay out of the same assets by having a past version and a present day version. And all I've heard is about how engrossing and expansive this game world is i mean it was basically like the witcher of its time for how much stuff there was to do how many quests there were to go on how many characters there were to interact with and it's held up as one of the series highlights from gameplay it was one of the first dragon quest games to bring in you know a class system where you can change classes swap skills all that sort of stuff which has kind of become one of the things that the dragon quest series does probably better than anybody else and including final fantasy in that because it's not just a bunch of classes you can unlock various tiers as i said uh the the beginner tier classes of like mage and cleric starter stuff if you master both of those by leveling them up all the way you unlock the sage class so if you master the sage class and the idol class which is literally a pop star then you unlock the summoner master class. So there's so much depth of the gameplay to just keep you going through. So while you're exploring this gigantic world and spending hours upon hours upon hours traveling and fighting and all this stuff, there's a huge amount of depth to the gameplay to go along with that. So as somebody who never got around to playing this game on its original release, and I kind of originally overlooked the 3DS announcement because it was announced alongside the 3DS release of Dragon Quest VIII, which is one of my favorite JRPGs of all time. Now that I've actually spent some time and read up on Dragon Quest VII, I'm I'm at that point where I'm excited, but I'm also very afraid because, (laughs) damn. (laughs) When is this coming out? Uh, I believe September. Jesus. That's going to keep you busy. Yeah, I, I would say so. <laughs> Suddenly Vince is spending a lot more time in the crapper. <laughs> All right. What else we got? We got uh, some Persona 5 news as well. Yeah, Persona 5, Atlas released the first 18 minutes of the game. Entirely in Japanese. <laughs> so I can't really give too much input on the story side of things. Just for hilarity, I turned on the YouTube auto-translate subtitles. Oh, Oh, that had to be good. It was amazing. I highly (laughs) recommend it. I'm pretty sure it was more confusing than just actually trying to figure out the Japanese. (laughs) But what was most impressive about this for me, when they said, oh, the first 18 minutes of gameplay, I I was originally kind of side-eyeing it because... The first several hours of most Persona games are just pressing the X button. (laughs) They changed that here with Persona 5. They jump you straight into the gameplay of the, you know, the weird heist thing going on in the casino. So it's immediately grabs you, which is something that that series desperately needed, because I know, Roger, you tried Persona 4, right? 
Yeah. You never got past the press X part? No, no, no. For I'm actually partway through. I'm still still playing it, just not nearly as much. But no, I actually put a number of hours in four. I've been playing on, well, I should say Golden. The one on the, the yeah, video. Yeah. Three is the one that I had a hard time with. That mm-hmm. I, I got lost in the fucking school and went, that's it. I I have nightmares about <laughs> not making it to class in time. I don't need this pressure. I'm done with that shit. But I, I know a lot of people who never got past like the press X phase of those games. Yeah. Because it's just, it, it's introducing you to the world. It's introducing you to the characters. It's very important from a narrative standpoint. It's just not engrossing gameplay. Yeah. So switching things up and throwing you into this highly visual gameplay segment with is also obviously coupling as the tutorial for it before it puts you into that press x to play the game part is very smart on theirs i agree so like i said very stylish have no idea what the hell is happening (laughs) but (laughs) i'm very interested in finding out but there were little bits uh, that caught my interest uh, from the battle, the the small little tutorial battle they showed off because some of the menus were both in Japanese and in English. And I noticed that there were several different attack options. You know, you have the persona, but I noticed there was a listing for sword and a listing for gun, which is a throwback to the older persona games where you had the different options of either melee combat or ranged combat. So I've heard some stuff about how they're definitely doing some throwbacks to a lot of the older style stuff, uh, both from persona and other SMT games, such as like actually having to negotiate with the spirits before they'll join up with you instead of, you know, throwing the <laughs> persona equivalent of a pokeball at them, <laughs> uh, which is what the, the latter games went to. So I'm interested in seeing how a lot of that plays out. So, yeah, for 18 minutes of what I was expecting just to be Japanese, it was completely incomprehensible. I got Japanese that was completely incomprehensible alongside some great fun visuals. So I I was actually pleasantly surprised. Did you pre-order this? No. Would you tell me if you had? (laughs) (laughs) Because here's the thing. It's a valid question. I think it is a very valid question. <laughs> All pre-order copies come in a steel book with an art book at no extra cost. So I probably will pre-order it once I know what my financial situation is looking like. Because that's when? Next spring coming out? Uh, February. Yeah, it that's it comes it. out on my birthday. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be pushed back again. I, I don't think so. I don't I, think so. Really? Mm-hmm. Now that the game is done, the, the localization process uh, should be on track. I wouldn't be surprised if it's pushed back, but we'll see. Okay. Listen, I've I've been the one saying for the past two years, there's no way it's coming out on time. There's no way it's coming out on time. Now I'm convinced it's coming out on time. All right. All right. Well, we'll see. All right. Did you guys see the news about the new Layton game? Oh. No. I mean, not until you posted it, but oh. Oh. <laughs> it's not going to be Professor Layton. It's Professor Layton's daughter. That's going to be in it. Lady Layton, the conspiracy of King Millionaire Ari- Ariadne, whatever. Freaking looks odd. Once again, trailer's all in Japanese, so you can't really see everything or understand everything that's going on. But you get the gist of it where it's, again, it's her name is uh, Catherine, which is a French name. I don't know. Yeah, they're French. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's the thing. Yeah, so it's, yeah, Catherine. I have actually a buddy of mine. His daughter's name is Catherine. Um, and she's the the daughter of Professor Layton, and it's going to be the same kind of thing where she does the riddle solving kind of stuff, and plays the detective, and does minor stuff, but also 
important stuff as well. And they were saying here she becomes a detective in order to find her father who vanished under mysterious circumstances. So, yeah, this is really I'm excited for this. I actually haven't played the last couple of Layden. Well, I don't have a 3DS. They, so, they all run together after a while, so you can miss a few yeah. without really feeling like you've missed out on anything. I, I like them, though. But again, oh, I, they're great. I played the DS ones, and I would like to one day play the 3DS ones. I'm really hoping I that. I remember which the last one I played. I, I know I played the time travel one, and I think I played the one, the one, the one after that, but I can't remember which one that was. The Azran Legacy? That was the Maybe. last one. So anyways, yeah, but this is going to be coming out for iOS as well. So there you go. Problem solved. I'll be able to play it on, on iOS and I will be playing the shit out of this thing on my iPad because the, again, the visuals are on point. It looks fantastic. Voice acting was spectacular. And again, it looks like a fun story. Girl and her dog going around solving crime. I'm in. You got me. Uh, did you also see the news about Life is Strange? I, I, I saw the article, but I actually didn't read it. Going to get a live action uh, digital films from it. Great. Digital series. So, yeah. So that's going to be a ton of fun. I'm really curious how they're going to go about doing that. <sighs> Casting is going to be important. Oh, boy. Very important. Yeah. So that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. We apologize for missing last week, but shit happens and that's just the way it goes. Make sure to check out the show notes at For the Lore. Some of the time we record live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern time before the lore. It's been known to happen. Every once in a while it does. You can also find us on Twitter at for the lore or individually. Joe is at LordZJ. Vince is Samodian and I am Zen Buddhist. Leave us your thoughts and comments on iTunes and Stitcher. And we will see you guys next week. Hairbrain Schemes is a game developer whose titles run a very wide gamut of different genres, though their mainstay tends to be the RPG. This is the studio behind Shadowrun Returns, Shadowrun Dragonfall, and Shadowrun Hong Kong, which, if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard us talk about at length. They're also a producer of the game Gollum Arcana, which is a hybrid video game tabletop miniature game. A very strange and awesome thing that occupies a weird niche space that isn't quite full video game, but isn't quite full tabletop game either. But we're not here to talk about any of those games. We're here to talk about one of their latest releases and one of my quickly new favorite games, Necropolis. Now in Necropolis, it is a Souls-like roguelite game. Now, what does that mean? Souls-like means that it is very Dark Souls-inspired. Not too surprising. It is a game that was, while developed by Hairbrain Schemes, published by Bandai Namco, which, again, they brought us Dark Souls. The combat is real-time. It is a dungeon crawler as far as how you go through it. It is a third-person perspective. And you gather different weapons and items to combat your various enemies. Many of your enemies drop these items. The combat revolves around a stamina system as well as moves that are defined by these weapons. The stamina system, like Dark Souls, depletes as you dodge, run, jump, uh, or attack. Use special abilities, any of those. The difference here, though, is there's an added catch. 
if it wasn't brutal enough to have hordes of enemies coming at you in this weird environment, and if it wasn't so much that you had to plan your attacks based off of how much stamina you have, well, you also get fatigue. What fatigue is, is these are permanent reductions in your stamina. So if you overexert yourself, you exhaust yourself, you gain levels of fatigue, reducing the amount of stamina you have available to you until you can rest and consume food. It is a very interesting mechanic and adds an extra flavor to that, that Souls-like experience. Now, when I say roguelike or roguelite, some of you may know what that means. For those of you that don't, this is a game that is very much like Rogue, Rogue Legacy, FTL, uh, and, and other of those veins where all the levels are procedurally generated. Each floor of the Necropolis, this dungeon that you are going through, each level is not going to be the same every time you play it. You're going to have different uh, layouts, different just textures, different things in the environment to work with. It's a refreshing experience that adds replayability. Now, on top of that, there are other things that it does, such as, well, potions aren't exactly the same either between game through, game playthroughs. A red potion in one playthrough may be a health, po health pod. Brings back your hit points. Pretty standard fare. That next run, it may lock you into place or potentially, I don't know, uh, cause you to vomit all over the floor. It's an interesting combination. The depth of strategy for combat with dealing with the hordes of enemies around, the ability to have multiple weapons, to have your movesets defined by your different types of weapons, whether they're spears, swords, uh, axes, crossbows. Uh, you can even have shields and use them as weapons. But to have that sort of replayability based off of none of the levels ever being the same is a very, very big deal to me because it adds such a level of replayability that a lot of other games don't have. Dark Souls will always have the same layouts, the enemies in the same area. That's part of its draw. Here, that difficulty is not from necessarily having super insane enemies that are giant and you can't beat them, although there are some really big enemies here. It's all about that experience of discovery, adventure, and excitement as far as just exploring the dungeon and figuring out what everything is. It captures the best essence of both genres, in at least my opinion. Now, we're talking about Necropolis in terms of mechanics, and that's fine, but what about the story? The story is actually surprisingly thin, but not in a bad way. Like the game itself, the plot is not exactly thrown into your face, and you have to explore to get it. It revolves around, of course, the Necropolis that was created by an archmage named Abraxas. This tomb was designed to practice magic far from civilization and far from the prying eyes of his competitors. Here, as well, he created a living construct, so... It's not a just a tomb. It's not just a dungeon. It is a living entity. And this living entity is basically oversaw by this giant pyramid with an eye called Brazen Head. 
Brazenhead is asking for you as an adventurer who has come here to explore this area to help him because his master has been missing forever. You're here to try to find power and riches. He's here because he has no choice. And he's asking you to help clear out an infection. As you go through the levels, you'll find uh, these red crystals that are just kind of in the middle of... They're, they're, they're very clearly don't belong there. Your job is to take whatever comes out of these crystals, destroy it to help Brazenhead clear his infection. But, again, that's very thin. The interesting thing that the game does is how it lets you find the snippets of story. So there's scribblings all over the wall. And the game doesn't use anything like real text or real audio as far as like language goes. Everything's done in its own language. Uh, aside from what Brazenhead tells you, those are come up in like sort of pop-up dialogue boxes. But as you go through each floor, you'll find scribblings on the walls. You'll find murals, art, things left behind from other adventurers that came before you. And these give you little bits of, of information about what happened, what to find, and things like that. It's kind of an interesting way to add that level of discovery to the story. And as you go deeper, and as you interact with Brazenhead more and more, as you find more of these murals and these writings, these scribblings on the walls, you understand more about what's going on. Now, I don't want to ruin this for you because... Again, the story has some very interesting hooks in it, and, and I think it's something that everybody should experience if they enjoy that type of thing. The other way that it presents it is not just through the pure essence of discovery, but also through sort of humor. And well, I guess I shouldn't say sort of humor. It is very much humor. Brazenhead is sarcastic, and his interactions with you grow more sarcastic the deeper you get. The little snippets and stories that are left behind are hilarious as well as informative. Everything you interact with, any NPC you find, whether it's a chicken vendor in a chest that clucks at you but also sells you some interesting things, or the old person that's going to sell you permanent upgrades, there's always some interesting interactions. And there's this layer of humor that sort of elevates the souls-like experience to something that is accessible to maybe somebody who has never played or is afraid of Dark Souls or even rogues or rogue lights for that matter. Honestly, the offering here from Harebrained Schemes is phenomenal. It's not without its flaws. There are certain things like uh, enemy variety could use some expansion but they've already stated that they're adding more content free to the players to expand the experiences. That said, at a price point of $30 for a full-fledged game that will take you several hours to get through, and which has almost infinite replayability because of the way that levels are, are laid out, and the fact that it is a roguelite game that will reconfigure itself every time you start a new game, there's something here for everybody. Some other features about the roguelike thing, though, that it does do to sort of lessen that blow, uh, you can save the game when you have to leave. Due to the length of the game, they have acknowledged the fact that players may have to get up and get away uh, instead of having to spend 10 hours in one sitting. So it will save your progress, and it will save the layout of your current dungeon that has been generated so that you can keep exploring it. 
the floors themselves are absolutely huge. And while I've seen people beat this game in six hours, my first playthrough was about 11 hours of pure exploration. There are secrets hidden all over this place. And just the experience of exploring and not knowing where you're going and being that adventurer and having that pure essence of dungeon crawling is it's so well captured here. It has been so long since I found a game of this nature that really grabbed me, made me laugh, made me jump. I've had several points where I have sworn quite profusely at the screen for throwing things at me that I did not expect or sneaking things up on me in paths that I couldn't see, but also had those wonderful triumphs of aha moments when I've discovered a secret or figured out a puzzle or figured out how to interact with the environment in a weird and new way. It's some of the most fun I've had in video gaming in a long time. If you're a fan of Souls-like games, if you're a fan of dungeon crawlers, if you're a fan of roguelike games, this is something that you should probably look into. I will say that with the price point being so low for a full-fledged AAA title, and the game frequently going on sale since its release, keep your eye on it. If it sounds remotely interesting, I mean, take a chance. This is a very wonderful experience at a low price point. And again, it's some of the most fun in gaming I have ever had. Hairbrain Schemes knocked it out of the park here, and I am absolutely in love with this game. From its sense of humor, the way that it delivers its story, the sense of adventure, the mechanics, how everything interacts, and how just how many hours I've already poured into this. This is a game that I think most people would enjoy. Give it a chance. Necropolis might just be the dungeon diving tomb experience that you've been looking for. Hunting me. There's a jiggly butt and there's a. What is it? Where is it? There is. A. A Cedra? Cedra? Sure. We'll go with that. Karen just went to go get the mail. And uh, the mail's <laughs> too far from the phone. <laughs> he totally did. He no, my, coming. my phone doesn't have a data plan, which is also why. I, a, I'm not leaving the house, but I don't have a data plan because I don't leave the house. So I catch whatever <laughs> is trapped in my Wi-Fi signal. <laughs> and um, and I installed it on Karen's phone because she was talking about it a little bit. I just suddenly see you as like a creepy old man with like a Pokemon death trap set up. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's like all these little like poke candies leading up to like this like cage <laughs> and Roger like hiding behind a bush. <laughs> I'm the sushi geisha of Pokemon Go. <laughs> I'm gonna cage all you motherfuckers. <laughs> so anyways, Karen goes out to go get the mail and it's kind of like a block and a bit away from the house, but you can see it from the front of the house. So I kind of watched her head off. And then as she's coming back, I just laughed and thought, oh, I love my wife because she's it's that universal symbol looking down at the phone, looking up, looking down at the phone, looking around and going, she's playing Pokemon. <laughs> and she was gone like an extra 15, 20 minutes. And she came back saying, I got you some stuff. <laughs> I was going, okay, dear. 
<laughs> so there was a pigeon by the mailbox, so I figured I may as well go it, <laughs> get it. <laughs> Good girl. And she was saying, yeah, it took a while, though. I had to fling a whole bunch of Pokeballs at him. I'm going, you probably wasted a crap load of Pokeballs on a freaking pigeon. <laughs> I'm just going, yeah, about a dozen. Do you get those back? <laughs> yeah, if you level, which I don't. <laughs> I mean, pretty soon, though, your wife will just be able to trade them to you so you can send her on poker runs. No, no, I actually logged her into my account on her phone. Ah! Because she had said, we'll just put it together and then kind of catch them together. It'll be fun. Whatever you want here. So that's why. So, yeah, I can see as she was gone, I'm looking through my list and all of a sudden there's a couple more. I didn't catch a crab. (laughs) Where did that come (laughs) from? (laughs) So, yeah, so she's having fun, too. There's a there's a gym right outside my work, and every night I go to pick up Renee. There's always this heated battle between all three colors for the gym, and so like you just see these like there's like a group of kids that are like the red team, and they like on their bikes and they go over to like the shrine and do their thing, uh, and then there's like me and a couple of the other folks that like work in the building. Like you can see us like pulled into the side lot in our cars and like line up. Like all like staring, staring at the shrine with their headlights on, and it was like this is a massive battle of this thing flipping for like an hour at a time until everybody decides it's time to go home. It's hilarious. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. Ooh, when I can feel it, feel it.